As Mike said, we're going to explore two stories of Jesus' healing today. They can be found in the Gospel of John. The first one is the fourth chapter, verses 46 through 50. The second reading is from the fifth chapter, verses 2 through 9. Would you stand now for the reading of the Holy Gospel? Then he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had changed water into wine. Now there was a royal official whose son lay ill in Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and begged him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my little boy dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started on his way. Now in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, there is a pool called in Hebrew Bethsaida, which has five porticos. In these lay many invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he'd been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm making my way, someone else steps steps down ahead of me. Jesus said to him, stand up, take your mat and walk. At once the man was made well, and he took up his mat and began to walk. Now that day was a Sabbath. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. There was a daredevil celebrity back in the 1800s known as the Great Blondin. He was even mentioned by Abraham Lincoln as he was uh, campaigning for the presidency. He would refer to the Great Blondin. He was a daredevil who would walk across a tightrope and wow audiences. And in 1859, he decided to do something that no one had ever done before. And that was to stretch a tightrope across the river that fed into Niagara Falls. So on the New York side, a cable or rope was stretched across the water to Ontario's side in Canada. And people heard that this was going to happen. And so crowds began to gather around to see this man walk across the tightrope. And you can just imagine that some people wanted to see something amazing. And some people were partly wondering, would he even make it, right? Well, he got out there and there were probably about 100,000 people gathered to watch him do this. And so he turned to the the crowd, being a good showman, and he he said, who believes that I can make it across this tightrope? And a few people said, I believe. And he walked carefully over the river. You can see that he had this long pole that sort of helped him balance. And he got to the other side and you could just hear people take a deep breath and sigh, relieved that he made it safely. And he turned around and he 
came more quickly over, almost galloping across the rope. And you could hear more oohs and ahs. And he got to the other side and people clapped. And he said, who believes that I can cross over this tightrope blindfolded? And a few more people said, we believe, we believe. And he did so. He made it across blindfolded. And he came back and he said, who believes that I can push this wheelbarrow across the tightrope? And even more people said, we believe, we believe. Now I have to remind you, this was 1859. He did not have our state of the art wheelbarrows that we have now. He had a rickety wooden wheelbarrow and he pushed it across the rope and back. People were amazed and they were cheering. And finally, he came back to the crowd and he says, who believes I can cross this tightrope? And we believe, we believe. Who believes that I can do it blindfolded? We believe. Who believes I can do that and push the wheelbarrow? We believe. And who believes that I can push a man in the wheelbarrow across the rope? We believe, we believe. Do I have any volunteers? Silence. No one, everybody believed he could do it, but they did not want to put their life in his hands. Belief is different than believing, isn't it? I believe that things can happen, but sometimes I'm a little hesitant to put my whole life in those hands. That we've got some people who are still afraid of flying who are in this room right now. And you've made it safely across several trips, but there's just something inside of you that still questions, is it safe enough? Or is a door just gonna blast open in the middle of our flight? Believing and trusting are two different things. I read this story about the great Blondin in a commentary on these passages in the Gospel of John. And there was a, a quote that I wanted to share with you from the person who wrote it. Her name is Laura Copley. And she says this about belief. Belief is more than just stirred up emotions. We've seen that sometimes in our lives where people get their emotions stirred up. They get excited about something. And they're, they're saying, I believe in this person or I believe in this movement or this cause. But when the going gets tough, where's that belief? So she says that it's more than just stirred up emotions. Belief is also more than just intellectual assent. We can believe something in our minds. And yet when the going gets tough, we may rethink that belief. So she says, instead, belief is trust. It is putting our life on the line. That's what belief is. Trust is. And she redefines it another way using this story of Blondin. She says, belief is trust. It is getting into Jesus's wheelbarrow. Think about that. How faith is more than just believing that Jesus died for us. Belief is also putting our life in his hands, trusting that he can take us from where we are to where we need to go. That he does do so and he is able to do so. He cares about us. He wants to help us. And we're willing to be in that wheelbarrow and go wherever he takes us. That's a leap of faith, isn't it? It's a leap of faith. And that is what's going on behind the scenes in these two miracles. Now, in the Gospel of John, as you heard last week, hopefully, there are seven sign miracles 
in John's gospel. It started with what we heard last week and Pastor Maggie read the reference to it. The first sign miracle is Jesus turning water into wine. Maybe you've heard about that preacher who was driving down the highway. He was pulled over by the police because he was swerving a little bit. And the police officer said, has you had anything to drink? He said, no, officer. I've only had this bottle of water. And the police officer smelled the water bottle and said, that's wine. And the man, the preacher said, he did it again. Um, That was the first sign miracle. Jesus turning water into wine. The second and the third are from John 4 and John 5 that we read today. Two healings. Two healings. And two very extravagant healings. In one healing, Jesus heals someone that's 16 miles away. In the other healing, Jesus heals someone who's been ill for 38 years. Now, we may think differently about healing today because we can have a surgery And after some therapy and recovery, we can be healed. But for people back then, if you were sick that long, it would be unbelievable to be healed from something like that. It's almost permanent in their minds. So these two amazing healings happen. And these sign miracles point beyond themselves to who Jesus is and what he is capable of. There are signs along the way of who he is and why we should believe in him. So the very first miracle that we see in John 4, the second miracle overall in John's gospel, is a man, a royal official, who wants Jesus to heal his son. His son has become sick almost to the point of death. He is in the city of Capernaum, which is over near the Sea of Galilee. And he hears that Jesus has come to Cana of Galilee, 16 miles away. And this royal official, literally in, in Greek, it's the king's man, King Herod, most likely, One of his officials hears that Jesus can do amazing things. He leaves his son behind near the point of death, which is already risky. And he goes all the way to find Jesus. And he says to Jesus, please come with me and heal my son. You can also sense the the desperation in his voice that he is so upset and so he so deeply cares about his son and he wants Jesus to come all the way back. He believes that maybe this man can do this. And you think about how some people will try anything to heal some of the ills that they have. Almost anything if it's real science or pseudoscience. Just something. So the man comes looking for for hope in Jesus And what's amazing is that if he didn't start with believing in Jesus, what's amazing is after he asked Jesus to heal his son, to come with him to Capernaum, all Jesus says is this, go, your son will live. And it says, John's gospel, that the man left believing in Jesus. How many of us would still waver a bit and say to Jesus, I believe you, but would you just come along with me just to check, just to be sure so I don't have to walk all the way back? Yet this man believed. So there's something here about the man going from desperation to belief in the healing. And notice that this is someone who is seen as a traitor to the real people of Israel. This is somebody who works for King Herod and King Herod worked for the Roman Empire. He was seen as a traitor and yet Jesus treats this man and his son with dignity and respect. 
The second healing is for this man who's laying down by the pool of Bethsaida in Jerusalem. And we've, archaeologists that is, have found this pool. It's down a slope in Jerusalem. They found where the pool used to be and they have found the ruins of these columns making up the porticos that were around there. They believe that there may have been a spring uh, that was a freshwater spring that would put water up into these pools, which probably explains how in John's gospel, if you keep reading, there is a verse of scripture that's added saying that there was a belief that an angel would stir the water and the first person into the water, when that angel stirred the water, that person would be healed. That's maybe the reason the man was there, believing that he was going to be healed if he could just get someone to help him into the water. This man had been there for a long time. We don't know if it was exactly 38 years. We do know he was ill for 38 years and no one helped him. He seems to be beyond desperation. He almost seems to be losing hope because Jesus asks him, do you want to be made well? He doesn't answer the question. He doesn't say yes or no. He says, I have been trying, but no one will help me. I can't do it by myself. I require assistance. And there is no one in all the time I've been here who has lift a finger to help me. And Jesus doesn't ask him the same question again. He just simply says, stand up, take your mat and walk. Now, this man was likely brought in on that mat. He was brought in and laid by the pool by someone That person apparently left because they're not there to help him in the pool when the waters were stirred. But someone had to help him in. He is being told to get up and take that thing that was the only thing that could get him from point A to point B and just take it. In a sense, you don't have to use it anymore. Stand up and walk around, Jesus says. And the man does. Now, you may notice at the very end of the scripture reading that we had this morning, John tells us that that day was the Sabbath. And there's a whole other story I'm not even going to tell you about, but you should go back and read John chapter 5 if you haven't already, because there is a big, huge issue that happens after this healing, because Jesus healed this man on the Sabbath, and it was on that day you weren't supposed to work, and picking up that mat and carrying it around was considered work in that time. So Jesus told the man to break a commandment from God, and he got in trouble. And the man's parents got in trouble and they started saying, it's, it's not us, it's our son. We're not responsible for him. There's a whole nother story there that's amazing that Jesus tells someone to break a commandment because he's the Lord of the Sabbath. People can work for him. Anyway, the question that Jesus asked the man, I think is really important for all of us to consider in our own spiritual journeys. Do we want to be made well? Do we want to be made well? And for some of us, I would assume that the answer is yes. There are issues, hangups, illnesses that you want to be healed from. And you already have gone to the right people, doctors, therapists, people that have all the best that modern science and medical uh, skill can offer. Good and faithful people that have done good for you. And that is wonderful. I believe that God empowers people to use those skills to do great work. But some of us also have other areas of our lives that are broken or not whole 
that medicine can't really help us with. These are deeper or different issues. And some of us know what we want and we, we do need to be on the, the, the hard journey of dealing with those things. And for others of us, we don't know where to start. Or maybe we don't even want to be healed from them because we know how difficult it will be. Do we want to be healed? Well, yes, but how? The deeper ills, the, the deeper wounds that we have are not easily medicated. They must be redeemed, gracefully turned from broken into whole. And that takes effort and time. And it's something that God promises that he will be a part of with us, that God will work in our hearts to make them new again. If Jesus can raise from the dead, something that we will celebrate at the end of Lent, then God can remake our hearts and turn our broken pieces into smooth, whole areas, whole people again. Do we want to be healed? If we do, we need to open up our hearts to God, to really become honest with God about who we are and how we are not the way we want to be. God already knows and still loves us. God already knows our issues and our hangups and still wants to pour grace and already is pouring grace into our lives. But it's up to us to continue to open up so that more healing can happen. And in fact, the idea of the church being a hospital for people who are broken is something we see in scripture over and over and over again. In fact, Jesus, we call him the great physician because there are passages where he reminds people that he is here for the sinner, not for the people that already have their lives together. In fact, he says at one point in Mark's gospel, chapter two, that the well don't need a doctor. So he's saying essentially, I'm here for the sick and all of us are sick in some way. He is here for us. The church was a place for people back then and Hopefully it is now for people who know their lives are not well to come and be made well, to be treated with respect and to understand that there are things that God can do in their hearts, in their lives to bring healing and wholeness to them, forgiveness and freedom. If they simply come into this place and are treated by God's grace and connected to people who truly care about them. In fact, if you look at the earliest writings in the Roman Empire about Christians, one thing pops up, one thing in particular. Now, there is a sort of confusion as to why people back then, these early Christians worshiped someone who died and was raised. They don't understand that. But the second thing that was strange about early Christians is how they would help people. They understood these early Christians to be Jews, Jewish people that followed this Jesus. And they said, we can't, we don't understand it. These, these Christians not only care for their own widows and orphans, but for ours as well. It was strange that people would care for people outside of their racial group. For people who were oppressed to care for the wounded and hurt and forgotten people of the oppressor people. And that's what the early Christians did. They cared for widows and orphans, the, God, the book of Acts tells us, over and over and over again. And it didn't matter if they were Jewish or if they were Roman. Their doors were wide open to anyone who needed healing, 
who knew their lives were broken and needed what God offered all of us. There was a church years ago who now has about 20,000 members and they were debating at the time they had about 2,000 members of if they should continue to grow or not. And, and the question was essentially, if we keep growing, it's not going to be the way it is right now. We, we know most of the people around us. We're comfortable with the people around us. We've got great choir members. If we add more, maybe they won't sound as good. You know, we, if we get more people, that means we have more pastors. And uh, there was just a hesitancy about growing. They kind of got to the point where they felt like this was the right church for them. And the pastor asked them, well, but isn't our job to be the church for those people out there that need God just as much as we do? And some of them were inspired. Some of them were dragged, kicking and screaming. They were not happy about it, but they kept growing. An example of this is from a recent movie uh, called Jesus Revolution that stars Kelsey Grammer. You may have seen that movie. Very powerful movie that's based on some real history uh, of a pastor and his calling to ministry. And in the movie, this was around the time of, of the hippie movement of the mid to late 60s. In this movie, there was a, a point where people were being embraced and brought into the church who didn't look or, or act like others. And, and some of the people in the church were a little hesitant about that. And yet, there was a mission. There were people who were really looking for Jesus and were wanting to be welcomed into the church because all lives matter to God. And yet there were some people in the church that were struggling with that, but the pastor felt called that they, these were sick people that needed God's love and I'm going to continue to give it to them. And there was this moment in the church service where some of the people who were upset the church was starting to embrace and bring in people whose lives were being transformed by God's grace. They didn't like that and they were getting up and leaving and walking out the door sort of huffing as they left. Some of you may have seen this scene and there was an older gentleman with a tie on. He looked like he fit in the church as it was. And he got up and he saw some of his friends leaving and it almost looked like he was about to follow them, but he didn't. He turned and went across the aisle and sat down with some of these hippies without their shoes and he put his arms around them. And at that point, one of the actors who was the hippie sitting on the ground, who is also in the, the TV show, The Chosen, if you've seen that, he looks up at the pastor and says, we're gonna need a bigger church. Because the church was about bringing in people to get healed from their sins. About bringing in people who are hurting and needing to know that God was with them and that God cared about them. And the sad thing is, is that there are some people in our society that feel like, God doesn't love them because their lives are broken, <laughs> because their lives are out of order. And I don't know why that is. Maybe it's that the church sometimes gives off this air that we've got it all together. You've seen me mess up in worship a lot. I mean, we just watch me do a children's sermon. There are moments where we don't know if I'm going to make it out alive or not. God is the great physician wanting to heal us of our sins, of our hangups, of our brokenness. 
and to make us whole again. Do we want to be healed? Then the best place we can be is at the foot of the cross. The best place we can be is at the empty tomb. The best place we can be is in the church that unites people from around the world and gives us hope, gives us hope that God is for us. Do we want to be healed? There's a lot going on in this world that is not the way it needs to be. We know that. And yet we know who to turn to to help us bring healing to the world. Let's remember, friends, if we want to be healed, we know the great physician. If we want to be healed, we know the God who loves us all. Let's never stray far from him, our healer. Amen. Would you pray with me? Most holy and loving God, we give you thanks for this day and we ask that you would continue to bring healing into our hearts and into our lives and our communities, into our world. Make the world the way that you want it to be and help us to be ones who can invite others to be a part of the wholeness you offer. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.